Hey guys, Mike here. Hey, on this episode of Mountain and Marsh, myself and Brian Ellathorpe talk about diver duck hunting. Uh, he lives up in Ohio, hunts Lake Erie, and uh, he just knows his stuff when it comes to diver duck hunting. Uh, Brian runs Brian Ellathorpe Media online as well as Too Many Hobbies, uh, the YouTube page, the social medias, you know, all the, the whole gig, man, the whole gig, so... Uh, hope you guys enjoy this one. I really enjoy talking to him. Thanks. What's up, guys? Hey, I recently had Sean with Swamp Stick on the podcast, and we talked about a super cool product. The Swamp Stick is a very versatile piece of equipment for your waterfowl set. Uh, this thing can be taken every single day and used in 10 different ways. Um, put your motion de decoys on it at different heights. Um, it's extendable. Put your gear on it. Hang your gun on it. You can get a plethora of attachments for this thing. If you guys would like, you can get 10% off exclusively here on Mountain and Marsh. All caps, M-A-M-P-10. That'll get you 10% off at checkout. Swamp-stick.com. That's M-A-M-P-10. That's all capitals. Check them out on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. You know the deal. Everybody, I'm here with Brian, uh, Brian Elthorpe, Brian Elthorpe Media, too many hobbies, uh, too many things that he does, so I can't <laughs> tell you everything. It's just too much stuff. Um, if you need somebody to take pictures of, at your wedding, he can do that. If you need pictures of your ducks, he can do that. Uh, or if you need somebody to kill your ducks, he can do that. Um, <laughs> Brian, how you been, man? I've been good, man. How about you? Uh, just trying to stay busy and keep killing birds that's for sure i hear you there um so first off i want to just start off and we'll get it out of the way let everybody know so what do you have going on with too many hobbies and stuff nowadays and, and uh, how have things been going yeah everything's been going pretty well this has been the best season as far as like the video performance stuff it's been it's been good it's reached a lot of people um finally made it into the youtube partnership program so uh running ads and stuff it's been it's been cool to see that side of it um and uh you know just trying to come up with with videos that people want to see and then edit them in a way that makes it entertaining for everybody and you know just just trying to keep everybody engaged and 
you know, going into late goose right now, just trying to produce some content and, uh, we'll see, we'll see what, how the late season fares for us. But I've also got a, I bought a two man layout boat to restore and I got some other projects that I want to put up, uh, waterfall related before we start getting into fishing season here pretty soon. Yeah, I got some uh I got some cool projects going on. Actually by the time this comes out, everybody will already know about it. So I'll go ahead and tell everybody and tell you. Uh I so I was hunting recently with an old guy, uh an older guy, this this man named Doug, and Doug is from western Pennsylvania below Lake Erie, but he spent uh many years living and working in New Jersey on the like near the salt marshes. And I have these gigantic super magnum goose shells. You know, like how oh, back yeah, in yeah. the late 80s to mid 90s, the thing was like you needed the biggest damn goose decoy that you could put in the field. <laughs> well, yep. so I got some of these from a buddy of mine, and the uh, he just had them laying around for years. He said, here, you take these. I don't want them anymore. I'm in the blind with this guy, and we're talking about it. We're kind of joking about fads and old decoys. And he says – Oh, you have super magnum geese. And I, I said, yeah. And he's like, oh, well, we used to do with those. We used to um, zip tie white pool noodles to the inside bottom. Yep. And we would spray paint them white and make them tundra swans. And I was oh. going to buy tundra swan decoys. And I was like, wait a minute. I could make six tundra swan decoys. And now I am currently about. 75% done on three of them. And so far they look great. They look so That's good. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. You know, Tango free makes uh on decoys. My buddy bought a couple of them. They look pretty good, but I've seen, I have a buddy that also used those super mag, uh, goose shells and put uh pipe insulation on the inside of them with the zip ties and then use them as floaters, uh, in his duck spread just to kind of give something a little different, but they seem to work pretty well. Yeah. Like the, I don't know about up your way, but the Chesapeake Bay, um, if you're in the flats, like I hunt a lot with Chuck and Mike um, up that way, it seems like everybody booter and a couple of the layout boats are, are using either two or three Tundra Swans or full Tundra Swan spreads. Like, three dozen tundra swan spreads and so a lot of guys on the body booting side of things will use three dozen tundra swans and then a couple geese here and there and you know some duck decoys they'll kill all kinds of stuff all day i mean you can kill pintails out of a uh, you know out of a booty body spread widgeon um i just i just found this out from this guy doug we were talking about he's like well, you know why they work so well, and I'm like, uh, dude, I don't know, confidence decoy. Like that's saying you know, that's what I thought. And he's yeah. like, well, yeah, but also because the crane's neck is so long, that the swan's neck is so long, they feed, they reach down deep and pull whole plants up. The redheads, bluebills, and such will feed behind them or around them, and then the you always hear about widgeon following redheads feeding off the remnants from the redheads well the redheads will land with the swans to eat their remnants and the widgeon will follow them so it's like a 
it's like the the never ending story. It's like a revolving door. Apparently, it's just a big cycle. Yeah, you can use swans (laughs) and uh and kill anything over them, Canada geese, whatever, because it, you know, the the tundras are the top of the food chain in terms of who's eating how much grass and who's pulling what up and all that stuff. Yeah, we got like we have a few thousand uh, trumpeter swans that hang out around here, pretty much for like the last half of our season. And the, the real benefit to them being here is that they they roost in the refuges and they keep the, the water open. So that's what, I mean, it's really only the benefit, the only benefit that we get out of them here. Um, we don't have a season for them or anything, but it's pretty gnarly when you see one of those gigantic birds come land in your spread. It's pretty cool. So the, the trumpeter swan, I don't want to get too far off on a tangent, but the, I, actually posted in DIY waterfowl the other day saying, Hey, has anybody ever added rust color to their snow goose or swan decoys? And of course, that, yep. of course I get like the two or three people who are like, derp, derp, swans don't care, man. You just, and I'm like, <laughs> guys, it's not for swans. <laughs> like, but anyway, so everybody's freaking out, but you know, um, I had somebody comment and say where I'm from, the swans, run all the birds off well tundras don't but mute swans will absolutely fight geese um they're very territorial uh do trumpeter swans do the same thing it doesn't seem like it i mean i i I don't i don't pay a ton of attention to it because mostly most of the ones that i see are like either small groups of them landing with birds and like parks or like whatever and then they land out in the fields over by like my house and like closer just in the area but i mean they all they all feed in the same field so like i I don't ever see anything like real crazy like that i mean i don't i couldn't even tell you that what a mute swan looked like we have so many trumpeters around here um the mute swan's the one with the big old ball right above its bill between its eyes it's like a Okay, that's what I was thinking, like a little wart-looking deal. Yeah, yeah, it's it's almost like it's a part of their bill. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that we have many of those around here. Um, but no, it seems like they they all pretty much coincide pretty well together. So, no, I don't see them, like, really beating up each other. <laughs> nice, nice. All right, uh, yeah. so speaking of killing diver ducks, um, I wanted to talk – to you exclusively because you do so much uh diver hunting this year was the first year and you know i'll give a shout out to chuck and mike but chuck uh chuck metzger and mike salini uh over around chesapeake bay the, the upper chesapeake um they through my buddy kurt batterton who's you know one of my really good friends kurt takes me out with them and uh they've all just been great and i've been able to hunt with them uh probably four or five trips already this year and uh i think it was four so far as of this recording and it'll probably be five or six by the time this comes out but we've had just such a great year not only killing birds but even our slow days we were we were getting on singles doubles here and just random stuff we shot some coots maybe some commons but like we just always have had fun out there and this is my first year ever being in a layout boat and it is a blast i i've always diver hunted but man i've never done it like this and it is so much fun it's really addicting it's uh it's just a whole different style like it's 
even the shooting, like a shooting is, is more difficult because you're, you're moving with the waves. It's like being in a kayak, like anchored. It's just a little different. Uh, it, I, it, it, it drew me in first time that I went just because it was, you know, it's, it's more relaxed. I feel like you're not worried about people close to you, at least around here. When we're out layout hunting, we're like a mile offshore, half mile offshore, depending. And, uh, it's just, there's a, there's more relaxed feel to it. Yeah. And, and not only relaxed, I feel like, I, so I, I hunted the up, I've hunted the upper bay for many years. This year being the first year I've, I've always like driven around with like my buddy, Andrew has a war Eagle and we'd be up there hunting and we might drive around and see birds and see flight patterns. But when you see it at first light, either from a tending boat, one, one to two miles, you know, out from the Marina or from the layout, and you see that flight at first light. It is, it's obnoxious. It's it's unlike anything it I've ever. You might not get to even shoot at any of those birds, but just watching the first trade or the first, like I was in the layout boat the other day, and you know it's the upper Chesapeake, so you see things like this. But I don't know, thousands of Canada's just came flying over top down the Susquehanna River and over top the tender boat. And me and my buddy, you know, Mike are just standing there like, oh my God, like, look it's at crazy. this shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it puts a different perspective on diver hunting because when you see it from shore, you're kind of like, I wish that I could be out there and seeing what's happening. But like when it's happening all around you, it gets gnarly, especially when they start. I mean, when they come in and you got, you know, 300 bluebills lighting in your spread, it's like, by the time you sit up, you can be looking them in the eyes at like 10 yards. There's just nothing like it. Yeah. And I, I also really love the fact that I don't just enjoy, I thought when you ran the tender boat that it would kind of suck. Actually, I enjoy running the tender boat and like, so Chuck has a two man layout. So you're never solo. So you're, you're never like right. sitting there by yourself. Like, Man, I wish I had somebody to BS with. No, yeah. like the the whole time there's there's two guys, and then there's also one to two guys in the tender boat. And yep. I, you know, I'd be we'd be in the tender boat, me and Mike, and we'd be in the tender boat having a blast. And also, I I think two day different days, I actually shot me and Mike shot the first birds, and it was hen buffleheads, but it was a Love blast. It. Like we we were standing on the tender boat, and as long as you're anchored in the Chesapeake, as long as you're anchored, you're good. So we're anchored and like pulled tight. We're just sitting there loading my gun up, just like I'm hunting out of a blind. And, oh yeah. And I'm just sitting out there and here, here comes some hen buffleheads zipping by and boom there, you know, <laughs> we get to shoot the first bird that morning. It's, yep. I think it's all a blast, man. All of it. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're sitting in the layout, but like we always have our guns loaded for cripples anyway. So if birds come by, yeah, we, we've shot at, plenty of birds just out of the fender boat and then you always get the radio from the layout boat and they're like did you guys just shoot back there <laughs> it's like yeah man they skirted behind you and they came right by the boat so we took them out yeah i we uh we've done we've done plenty of shooting from the tender boat and also like picking up cripples this is gonna sound crazy but like ironically 
picking up cripples. And if you're in the tender boat and you don't know exactly what birds are what, like running the tender boat looking for cripples, we've killed other people's cripples, I'm almost certain. <laughs> but and, and on accident, because like we just came up with them, we're like, oh, here it is. Boom. Yeah. And actually it was a ruddy, and we're like, oh, that was not a hen buffle head. But it was, you know, you know what I mean? Like, but it was definitely yep. crippled. It was just so I don't it, it is cool. It's cool to be out there. Um, also just seeing the world come to life in the middle of the water and not, you know, when I used to hunt up there with my buddy Andrew, we would hunt blind sites. So we yep. were always on some sort of piece of land. Being in the middle of the water and watching just everything come to life and seeing 20 different species of water birds, waterfowl, like around you, like it's pretty crazy, man, being out there. It is wild. It is. Yeah. I mean, like it's, it's crazy for us. Cause we just, I mean, for the most part when we're layout hunting, like we're in the middle of Lake Erie. So like it's this giant body of water. And so like, not only are we like, constantly being mindful of like if the weather could change but also like there's just it's all like you can barely see shore so like you are out in the middle of nothing just laying in and basically laying in the water with these plays around you and it's like yeah when everything starts to like start flying like we get seagulls and cormorants and all this other stuff just starts flying around but like once you see like the rafts of birds pick up and start moving towards you like it just it gets it's like the fire yeah actually i i'd asked you about um i texted you and asked you about how much wake that you hunt in with the layout boat because what you're technically doing the layout boat is you're trying to blend into the water line and yep. the horizon so that these birds are flying down your decoys and don't see you until it's too late and right. so I asked you, hey man, what do you, you know? What do you guys do? And you had said one foot of chop is is around where you want to have it. Um, yep. We we had a really glass day. The last time I went out, I think it was last weekend, last Saturday, and it was or maybe Monday. It was Monday, and it was just it was glass, like absolutely beautiful ride out in the morning. Like, it, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Like one of those days, you're like, man, we're not going to shoot anything. We did. <laughs> But there was a gigantic raft of birds, and it was it was bluebills, cans, redheads, common mergansers. There were some hooded mergansers around, and then also it was behind all of those ducks, especially over behind the redheads. It was widgeon, gadwall, mallards, black ducks, buffleheads around, and uh, ruddy ducks around. They all were flo I was in the tender boat and they were floating toward our decoys, but nothing would fly into the decoys. And I was like, you know what? Maybe if they're swimming, they're gonna float right on in there. And <laughs> and we're watching from afar with binos, and they actually just split right around the decoys about a hundred yards. And the tide <laughs> actually pulled them right past the decoys. And the guys never got shots except for uh oh, that sucks. I think they I think there was like a hen widgeon they could have shot and they let go. And there was a couple coots, uh, maybe a bufflehead or two, but there were there were literally ten thousand plus birds rafted around them and they didn't want to they didn't want to shoot junk birds. So they were yeah. they were waiting until they possibly got to shoot it 
you know, at least some Drake Puddle Ducks, if not, you know, some cans or something like that. And they they never did get end up shooting. I I think they they shot a passerby blue bill and it everything erupted. But that was it. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough when you get like a big raft like that, and you're trying to compete with, you know, five, ten, sometimes twenty thousand birds with eighty decoys. Stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, well, that brings up a, a question I have: like, how many in, on a normal day? How many decoys are you guys running? Uh, for the most part, I'd say that we run about eight dozen. Um, when I first started out, we would throw four or five dozen. Uh, we've been starting to throw two layout boats, two, two single-man layouts. So we're trying to hide them a little bit more and throw, like, three lines on either side of the, the layouts and then throw, like, two dozen singles behind them. Um, but we've, I mean, we've thrown 10, 12 dozen spreads before, and like, it's it just kind of depends. Like if there's a big raft of birds that we're trying to compete with, we'll throw more and see if it makes a difference. Generally it does help a little bit, but, um, I, I mean, like I've killed, I've killed my six in less than 15 minutes on multiple occasions with just four long lines of decoys. So, I mean, like it just kind of depends on, on the birds really. Like it, I, I try not to put too much focus on, on the decoy spreads when we're out there just because it's generally with the divers, they're not too concerned about like how you have the decoys spread or set up, but I like to use them to our advantage to try and break up the layout boat. So are you using, so what we were doing was like probably 10 to 12 dozen and uh, a lot of, there were a good bit of single drops that we were throwing in between lines to kind of break up lines. Are you worried We've about that? that? Yep. Are, I mean, are you, or are you just running straight to the layout? I mean, we'll try and put the, the, the line start like either like at the backside of the layout boat or like the middle of the layout boat. Um, as far as like having singles in between lines, if we're trying to put like a bigger um, landing zone, like if we have both layout boats in like the middle of the, the spread, so like three lines on either side, we'll throw singles in front of the layout boats just to kind of help break them up. Um, <clears throat> but for the most part, like birds, birds don't seem to skirt. Like I haven't noticed a big difference in birds flaring or finishing, depending on if we have like a few singles in the line. Cause as they come flying in, those seems like for the most part we see them and they'll be coming. They don't come like straight on. They'll be traveling, you know, crosswind and then they'll finish into the wind by the time that they turn and land in like the landing area um they don't they, they'll they more often than not just finish in there i we don't really have a whole lot of issues with birds flaring if they've already committed so it's hard to say that throwing bird like throwing singles in between the lines makes a huge difference but we also pack our lines a little tighter it helps create this like darker uh raft look and then it helps break up the layout boat a little bit in my experience um when we when we spread out the lines a lot you can kind of it's weird but i can see the layout boat a little bit better um and it makes it some of the decoys kind of 
get lost in like the glare of the water. So if we, if we pack them tighter, it makes like a darker raft looking blob on the water. So we've, we've tried packing them a little tighter and then throwing an extra line or two just to give some volume to the spread. Um, but it seems to help. I mean, we had a tough year this year with divers, so it'd be hard to say that anything that we did differently this year would help. But in the past, I mean, I've been layout hunting for was it like eight, seven years now, eight years. And it just seems like every year is a little bit different. So we try to adjust where we can. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, that's one thing is uh, like Chuck runs a lot of uh, a lot of single drops and I just did. I've, I've seen people killing limits over like four long lines ran straight to the layout. And so yep. I was, I didn't know if maybe it's overkill to run single drops or if it's just something that helps create a different, what we end up having to do is at the end of a hunt, if the tide gets weird or if there's a lot of grass that floats loosely into the decoys you end up having to unwrap decoy lines while pulling long lines because yeah it's you know everything lifts and rolls and the grass will mat up around the that's another thing is the grass on the flats it's so thick and that's why the birds are there but it actually will float in and raft up and after about two hours into the hunt you'll just have underwater grasses all over the decoy rafts and i know I don't think that is affecting any bird flying within 10 feet of the water, but I do believe that we have some six, eight, 12 packs of bluebills that could be workable that are probably at 50 yards high looking down. Like what, what is that? So I don't don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it could, but um, it's hard. It's hard to say, like, you know, it's it's hard to, to try and, keep that kind of stuff out of the spread if it's that abundant like that um for the most part like i i like throwing long lines just because they're easier to deploy and pick up um but the singles specifically are for just packing in around the the back side of the layout just because there's not really a good way that you could run long lines behind the layout um so we i have specific single divers for for that and then if we're doing like a river diver hunt or we're on shore then i have singles that we pack in with the long line um kind of been the focus the last two years is shore hunting with long line just because we're run, we got dogs that we like running so it uh we focus a little bit more on that but obviously like when you invest in tender boats and layout boats and stuff you still want to use it and like like i said there's just no there's no comparison between a a shore or marsh hunt compared to a layout hunt so i i always will i'm always down for a layout hunt and it's it's just it's hard to beat yeah i've noticed this year uh hunting with these new guys is um i i've always I've always been torn between if I liked puddle duck hunting or um, diver duck hunting more or uh, like I used to field hunt a good bit for geese and puddle ducks. I'd I'd run 
full body duck spreads and things. And one thing that I've sort of noticed this year is that I found I found a couple of really good ways to utilize diver meat, which I had always cooked the divers. I just I just never had had like a plethora until this year out of necessity, I figured out a few ways to really cook a uh, clean prepare uh, marinade and cook diver duck. And now I'm like, actually, I don't shoot that many, many mallards anyway, because I don't <laughs> live in a great area for mallards. Like I'm not living in Kansas. Like I'm not in North right. Dakota. Like the mallards aren't flocking to the area that I live. So on public land, especially the nearby rivers and lakes, mallards are hard to come by. I'm actually finding myself with a lot more diver duck to eat anyway. So now that I've figured out how to prepare them and cook them, now I kind of almost want to just diver hunt. Like I don't even, <laughs> it's not even that big of a deal to me anymore to shoot greenheads. Like it's just not that much fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, like for us, shore hunting gets us more of like a mixed bag. So like where, where we're hunting, we're pretty close to like, the marshes and refuges and stuff like that. So we could be, we could have a group of bluebills come in the shore and then the next minute there could be gadwall circling us or widgeon and shovelers and mallards. And it's, it gives us an opportunity at like more of the mixed bag style when we're shore hunting. But also like if we're, if there's three of us, instead of putting one person in a layout boat and doing you know, sitting out there and just watching somebody whiff on bluebills and buffies and golden eyes and stuff. It's, it makes it a little bit more fun to be shooting from shore. And like, obviously we're throwing out long lines and stuff, targeting divers. Um, but we have plenty of puddle ducks that'll also finish in there. And we've shot puddle ducks from our layouts too, just because everything around our shoreline is marsh or refuge or whatever. And, uh, so we've had mallards and gadwall and teal um, in our layout spreads, which is cool to see. It's it's unexpected, obviously, but um, yeah, I mean, we I, I just like the challenge of diver hunting. Like those birds are harder to kill, and if your lead's not, if you're used to shooting puddle ducks, you're going to be behind a diver duck nine out of ten times. So it's more fun for me. I I, I like it. Um, I've yeah I've found plenty of ways to eat diver and if you brine it correctly and you marinate it right you cook it right like I don't really taste much of a difference like I make a lot of jerky out of my stuff anyway so there I can never tell the difference between a puddle duck and a diver duck in jerky but like even when I make it in stir fry or gumbo or whatever it, it tastes just fine. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big advocate of any like especially Asian stuff that a lot of those strong like teriyaki and soy flavors they will just cover up all kind of diver flavor. But um, yeah, yeah I, I'm with you about about hunting from shore. Actually, here on the lake, the local lake, you know, we don't get many good shoots, but um, we did have the one day where we shot the bluebills and Canada's and a hoodie, and it was like. It was a, it was not only was it a really good day just straight up, but also I shot them over uh, Canada decoys that I hand some, well, no, those were, those were Dylan's, but anyway, Canada decoys 
bluebill decoys that were made out of old mallards that were beat up that I hand paid. It was 18, I think, or 12 bluebill decoys and a handful of bufflehead decoys. And I just set up with the wind. I set up correctly. Um, I've learned a lot over the last few years to hunting by myself a good bit. I've really learned over water how to decoy birds in comparison to a field, which is how I got my start. And I just set up exactly right. Like I'm not tooting my own horn. I just, I put the time in, I scouted and like I prepped and set up exactly right. And we had bluebills coming in. Like it felt like a hundred miles an hour burning down that these <laughs> hand painted old mallards and oh, just yeah. right next to shore. I mean, just they, I mean, they were coming past us, but we, you know, we got shots off and, and it was super fun. I mean, we, so hunting them offshore is, is also really fun. I enjoy hunting them offshore. It's cool because like when we, we, we had the last few years where we've started to really dial in the, the shore hunting for divers, like we've been able to pinpoint like when a, if a bluebill comes past us, like I, I've been able to like read its body and be like, let it go. It's going to, we call it the bluebill loop and they would go past us and then they loop out into the middle of the lake and then come in and just head on. And like, we were shooting these things at like 10, 15 yards. Like they would just float right in the shore. And it's like, that's to me, that's just as cool as seeing them, you know, work into a layout spread. Uh, it just makes it a little easier when you've got a couple more guns that can back you up because there's some people that will go with us. that are just not, not quick to the diver hunting and so like you put somebody like that in a layout boat that's used to shooting puddle ducks or geese or that's just new to waterfowl hunting in general and it's uh it can be tough sitting in a tender boat watching somebody whiff four times on birds and then yeah switch them out so it just depends on the, the the group that we have but also like with the dogs and stuff it's really cool to watch them and i I don't really see a point in taking a dog out in a tender boat to, to retrieve birds off of the boat. But I know there's plenty of people that do. It's just not something that like I really think is necessary. So, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to, to switch it up. Uh, if birds seem like they're pressured from shore. Then we'll get the layouts and go offshore. Um, if the weather's right for it. We'll just go offshore. And uh, this year we just had so many bad weather days that we, we really didn't get a chance to to do as much layout hunting as we hoped for, um, but we didn't really have. It was just a tough year for us. Pretty much every time that we could go out, it was either no mile an hour wind or it was forty mile an hour wind. So, um, hoping for a better season next year, but also hoping that we can get out offshore a little bit more and, and utilize the the layout system that we have, but. Yeah, man, the, the, the diver game is just, a, it's different. And to me, it, it's less pressured than everything else around here because everybody around here wants to be in the marshes and be shooting puddle ducks and they really don't care about divers. So it's like, I have more or more power to you. I'll be, I'll be on the lake where there's less people and having, having a ball shooting divers. There's a, you had already kind of hit on it, but so if if you shoot it like some lessers, some lesser blues flying past, 
Yeah. And they're coming right to left, straight broadside. Like they're not pitching in towards you. They're just burning past you. You got to lead a lesser bluebill at full clip, like 12 feet. Like I've, I feel oh, yeah. like that's how much I lead. Like at like 25, 30 yards, you got to lead them a good ways. Yeah. I have. So I bought a shot cam for this year for, for filming. And I didn't realize how much I was leading divers when I shoot them. It just is like, I'm, I'm used to it. So like, I just, I see a bird coming in and as fast as flying, I just, lead it and I'm a fairly good shot and so it was funny because I had a lot of people that would see on the videos that like how much I was leading birds depending on how far away they were and how fast they were flying and stuff and it's just something I didn't really think of but yeah like when you start looking at like a slowed down zoomed in video of you shooting and like seeing how far you're leading these things it's like Man, it's it's hard to explain to somebody that's never had to try that, like what they should be doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like my buddy Dylan went out with us the other day, and he was kind of like struck a little bit at the at like the whole system, you know, but from the long lines to the amount of birds that you see out there on the water to to shooting and oh, everything. Yeah. And uh, that's a sensory a, overload. Yeah, that's another thing. That's um. That's another thing is like if you don't know what you're doing when it comes to working with the decoys, like the long lines, how they're organized. Everybody organizes theirs differently. Everybody rigs them differently. Uh, The weights are different. So there's a lot of people who don't know how to do those types of things. Everybody's used to taking like like single drops or a Texas rig and, you know, you're – you're standing there and you're throwing your decoys into into a yep. pond or a marsh. That's all self-explanatory. It's not at all like that when it comes to setting decoys. So I can see where a lot of people would never even try it because it's it's intimidating. Like a lot of people don't don't like to try new things because they are intimidating or it makes them feel like they might get in a pinch and not be able to do it or whatever the case is. Um, but having a good group of guys to do so is substantial. If you got a good group of guys and you can pl- you can put out and pick up quick, it's a night and day difference. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, it, well, there's so much. There's a small room, small room for error. Like, if you don't have somebody that can maneuver the boat correctly when you're setting a long line, like you can cross into your other long line with the decoy or like your prop can get wrapped up or just, you know, there's, and I mean, I've done it all at this point. Like I, I had the, you know, I started going with somebody that was very experienced with it. And then like, as I started accumulating my own gear to do it, I had to learn how to run my boat in an efficient way that uh, was different than his, just because like, you know, each boat's laid out differently. Each person runs their boat differently. Each person's decoys are, are set differently. So like, I've learned a lot and I've adapted to a lot of things that I've, that have helped me. And so like I have videos of setting like my spread for diver decoys, my spread for shore hunting, like how to rig up a long line. And those videos do well because there's a lot of people that see 
either my videos or people that put up diver hunting videos or like go on a charter and they're just like, you know, I, I saw this, but it was so quick. I didn't really grasp it. And they want to look and see like how people are doing it. Um, I get messages all the time of people asking like, you know, this is how, this is what I have. Like, is there an efficient way to rig it up? And like, I have no problem helping people just because it's people have helped me. It's my way of paying it forward. And it's just, yeah, there's just so many different ways you can do it. And, but there is like, you have to have everything organized correctly. Like all my stuff is in slotted bags. So all my decoys are on the line in the bag and they're strung through there so that they're easy to deploy. And then the guys that I hunt with also have their stuff set up similarly to mine. So it's the same way, like with their stuff and my stuff, if we have two tenders or if we have 12 dozen uh, long lines that we're throwing on shore or whatever the case may be, like we're all set up pretty similarly. So if we go in somebody else's boat, it's easy to transfer um, like our stuff or like be using their stuff and it be there, there not be like this huge learning curve the morning of. And it's hard for somebody that doesn't do it often to just jump on a boat and like grasp it right away. Yeah, it's it's honestly overall it's an intimidating style of hunting. Uh, you you guys seem to run your decoys, your long lines like uh, Chuck runs his, like um, using twelve slot bags, keeping everything organized that way, um, put, yep. putting them out that way, bringing them in that way keeps the decoys from getting all beat up. Um, and I know divers don't necessarily care, but he also has some really nice hand-painted uh, foam Homer decoys. And yep. uh, so those are all kept in 12-slot bags as well. They're wrestle-coated uh, to, to keep all them separated and stuff. But th it is an intimidating style of hunting because also there's some days that you go out and you as the hunter thinks, oh, yeah. We're, we're in it like this is we got the weather we needed like this is it and there could be one and a half foot of chop and it's five degrees and the wind's blowing 15 yep. miles an hour and puddle duck hunter not just deer hunters not just other hunters puddle duck hunters even if you told somebody in the timber of arkansas that you were going to go out when it was 20 mile per hour sustained winds and you had two foot of chop and you were going to set a boat in eight feet of water and you were going to set 120 decoys on long lines and you were going to set single drops. And then you, when you picked up, you were going to have to untangle stuff, but you yeah. were going to have one hell of a hunt. But you're, if you told them that they'd be like, no way, dude. come on. Like <laughs> just move to Arkansas. Like just yeah. like they, they wouldn't comprehend it, but I'm not kidding. It's not the same. It's not even the same hunting. It really, Yes, it's ducks, but it's not the same hunting at all. And I think that's what attracts me so much to it is for years, I was a goose hunter in, a, in fields. Then I started hunting water, ponds and streams and rivers. And I was like instantly drawn to hunting puddle ducks in those scenarios because I wanted to be on water then. And then it yeah. was, I started hunting the bay and then it was, oh my gosh, we can, we can kill everything. 
And then, it, you know what I mean? Like it kind of progressed. And now I'm at this point where I'm like, how gnarly can we get? Cause I want to get gnarly. Cause I want to shoot. I want to be able to shoot all kinds of stuff. Like where's the golden eyes that we don't get golden eyes. Like you guys do. Like if we get a real nippy end of January, there's rafts of golden eyes. I think I want to get bitter ass cold. I want my fingers to go numb because those <laughs> are the days that I'm, I'm doing the most shooting. Oh yeah. I mean, I've had days where it's been, I mean, I've, I've hunted in a layout boat in a t-shirt and I've hunted in a layout boat where there's literally an inch of ice on the, on the side of the boat when we come in. And, uh, you know, obviously the colder days gets the birds moving around and stuff, but like, if you put somebody, like you said, if you put somebody that's like primarily a field hunter, like I was listening to the Mid- Midwest Flyways uh, podcast. And I one heard of those the same guys, one. Yep. Yeah. So they're talking about like going out on Lake Michigan and it's the, the extensions that they need for the the weights are 80 foot and they were going out and it's like four or five foot waves and they get in a layout boat and the guy's just like, I was scared for my life. And it's like, I, I think, uh, you know, when you're used to, big bodies of water like ours can turn at any minute there's been plenty of times that i've been in the layout boat and all of a sudden like it just starts to feel like there's a little bit more water coming over the front of the boat and you're rocking a little bit more and you start looking around you're like i think it's about time to pack this up and then you know it's there's definitely like for us i don't like being in anything more than like two foot just because it's not for, for one it's it's just uncomfortable. Um, but two, like if it starts to kick up into like the three foot range, then it makes everything more difficult to pick up. And, you know, you just don't want those. I use a, a waterfowl works UFO and like it's, it's designed to still float above the water if it swamps. But like, I don't want that. So like I'm trying to be as safe as possible. And, it's just not worth it. Like sitting out there in three foot waves for a bluebill, like I'm good. I can hunt other stuff around us if the weather gets bad, but obviously like I'd love to be out in the middle of the lake more than like hunting in a marsh or a river or whatever. But that's just the way that we have to play it around here. And like, yeah, it could be, if you take somebody that's that's used to being in the field or like, walks into a, <clears throat> a public marsh where it's only like two foot deep and you put them in a layout boat and their body's half underwater and you know they're used to shooting puddle ducks it's like it's it, i've seen it plenty of times where you, like i've taken people out uh layout hunting for the first time you know a dozen times or so probably more and like they get in that layout boat and they're looking at you like what the hell did you just put me in yeah, I honestly I'm a and this may be because I grew up around the water my whole life. And you know, my dad's been on the water since I was a baby and everything. Like, I don't know if it's that or what, but when I get in a layout boat and there's a little bit of chop, like I, I want to go to sleep. <laughs> I like I'm like so <laughs> comfortable in the layout for boat. Sure, yeah. yeah I, and I did I know that like Lake Michigan in the wintertime can be a it can be harsh. And so when I was listening to that Midwest Flyways podcast, I kind of giggled to myself because I thought, one, he's probably exaggerating a little bit, I would imagine. Um, I'd, I'd imagine four to five foot waves. He might be exact. Maybe he's not, but it, he might be exaggerating a little bit. But either way, I just thought it was funny that 
those guys are like, you know, when people think waterfowlers nowadays, especially with social media, um, those guys are a gigantic name in the industry. And then yeah. to be so worried about, you know, hunting divers out of a layout, yeah. but it was very funny to me because I thought, man, I don't get the opportunities to hunt field and puddle puddle ducks just like those guys do. And I would love to do it, but oh, yeah. I, I have to do it like this to have big strap, successful hunts. Exactly. You know, you know what I mean? But like, it's yeah. just, I have a blast doing it. When, when he was so worked up about it, I was like, man, I would love to go to Lake Michigan and like lay in a layout boat. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like it's, uh, if you look at any of the, the lists of like, bucket list hunts that people do like generally in the top 10 there's always layout hunting divers on the great lakes whether it's lake michigan lake huron for old squaws uh you know lake erie lake ontario like there's a lot of people that it's a destination hunt for them because it's something that they're never going to do like around their their where they hunt like those guys from minnesota like there's no chance that they're gonna go lay out hunt divers because i'm pretty sure in minnesota it's illegal um but like somebody in arkansas isn't gonna go lay out hunt for for mallards like their big thing is gonna be taking flat bottom boats in the timber shooting mallards and they're they would look at something like us hunting divers and be like well that's, that seems silly like why would you want to do that and it's like for, for us that's the that's the abundance that we have we have more divers than we do you know big fat greenheads but it's just the, it's more efficient for us well we got big fat greenheads they just don't taste very well <laughs> honestly i think the better of the two greenheads and that's just me i just think they're cool <laughs> what's your uh I mean, What's your favorite? Oh, what's your favorite diver duck? Like, oh, actually, well, yeah. What's your favorite diver duck? Great golden eye. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I've, I've only seen them. I saw one the other day or the other week. I was hunting on uh, Hart Miller Island in Essex, Maryland, and I saw we had one buzz us uh, a nice Drake, but um, yeah, yeah I mean, we generally will get like a we get a decent push like the last it's obviously weather dependent, but there's been years like there was a year uh, it would have been not last season, but the season before where for like five or six straight hunts, we were just smashing golden eyes. And like one of the better videos that I have on my channel is we were short hunting golden eyes and it was just me and my buddy. We had shot a three man limit the day before and I didn't film any of it because I ended up, uh, I actually, <laughs> I actually ended up wa- uh, hydro locking my boat on the way out. Um, we barely got it to shore and we were like, well, we're already out here. So we might as well hunt. We shot three man limit. And, uh, we're like, man, we got to go back the next day. So we took my 14 foot boat out onto the lake and hunted the spot. And like, we just had Drake gold nice just dumping in there. We were, we were stoning them dead with one shot, which is generally not very common we it's generally like if you shoot a golden eye you better have a box of shells next to you because you're gonna have to pound that thing like six or seven times to get it to, to belly up but um yeah we we shot like 
10 gold mines the day before we shot seven or eight on that hunt the week before we'd shot four or five each hunt and it was like within a month we had shot like 30 or 40 gold mines and uh i used to have hunts out by the lake erie islands where like we would just we would destroy gold mines out there late in the season and it just uh you know, this year we saw a handful. We could hear a lot of them flying. They just didn't work as they normally do. But we just were having bad winds and bad bad weather for them. Um, we didn't end up seeing a whole lot at the end of this season. But yeah, I, I, for me, seeing a a gold knife just come barreling into the decoys, and we get pretty big ones too. So like we get we get some pretty nice trophy style golden eyes that i mean we've had plenty of people that we hunt with that have mounted them and it's uh it's pretty cool yeah that's it is really cool you guys have that i the guys out that i was hunting with uh, out the monongahela river andrew and doug they were telling me and i was out there that when they go to lake erie up on the pa side they uh they do get into golden eyes at the end of the season every year Oh yeah, they'll push down that way quite a bit, and I mean, <clears throat> it's. We're, if you think about it, we're not terribly far from where where that is. So, like when we see them, there's a good chance that they're going to be moving that way too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, it was great talking to you about diver ducks. Learned a lot from you, and I definitely enjoy hunting diver ducks. I'd like to come up and hunt with you at some point because oh, dude, we'll definitely have to get that. Yeah, I mean it's uh it's different down by by us just because it's shallower, so I feel like there's there's more more divers that stick around on our end of the lake just because it's easier for them to feed. Um, it just kind of is the flyway as they come out of the Detroit River, they just kind of follow the shoreline. Um, yeah, I mean it's just cool. We got we have different ways that we can hunt them. We, we're not specifically stuck to shore shore hunting or layout hunting you know we have we have different options and it's it's a lot of fun it's definitely helped like create a, a niche for me for for making videos and stuff um yeah it's just it's a good time you definitely have to come up here yeah for sure man well uh good luck the rest of your season and uh thank you talk to you later man you too, buddy. Thank you. Matt, right, see you.